Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Brooklyn to speak with Adam Armbrecht of Locked On Nets about James Harden's Brooklyn debut. We go to Indiana to speak with Tony East of Locked On Pacers about Karis LeVert and his recent diagnosis. And lastly, we go to Atlanta to speak with Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks about the struggles of Trey Young, John Collins, and the entire Atlanta team. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, welcome to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I am the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. We've got games being postponed, unfortunately. We've got teams playing surprisingly well. We've got teams playing surprisingly poorly. We've got mega four-team deals going down across the league. So let's talk about a few of those big stories right across the league right now. Now we bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Nets podcast. Adam Armbrecht is here with me. Adam, this Brooklyn team looks a little bit different to uh, yeah three or four days ago. We saw James Harden's debut on Saturday, and it was pretty uh, pretty spectacular to see. First of all, let's get your initial impressions of how uh, Harden and Durant looked together and yeah, what you thought of Harden yeah, actually trying for, for once this season. <laughs> yeah, listen, we'll take this version of him as opposed to what uh, what Houston was dealing with early on. No, it looked good. Listen, these guys, have they have chemistry. Obviously, Harden made a concerted effort to kind of be that facilitator first to start off the game, look to find his teammates. Uh, they combined for 15 turnovers between the two of them, so there's there's obviously going to be communication and kinks to work out with, but you know, <laughs> you can't argue with a triple double. So I think seventh guy in history to debut with his team with a triple double performance. It's everything you want. If this is the kind of form that you're going to get from him, obviously uh, it only helps the chances for Brooklyn to get that chip this year. How was Harden's defense in this game? Cause obviously he's been roundly criticized and I use roundly uh, completely unintentionally, but he has been roundly criticized for his defense at times. How did, I know he, he generated some defensive numbers, but how was he uh, actually in terms of yeah, being, being uh, active on that end or being not a negative? Cause it's something the Nets are going to have to deal with, especially after trading away Jared Allen. Yeah. I mean, listen, he came up with four steals. So, you know, he, he does have active hands in the passing lanes, especially. So I think that that's definitely a plus for him. And he is, no, no, no insult intended. He's a bigger guy, not just uh, maybe carrying around some LBs right now, but he is a more physical presence at the guard position than say a Kyrie Irving. Uh, ultimately, I think it comes down to effort. You know, that, that's what you say about a lot of players in the league. Are they willing to commit that effort? And even for the team overall right now in this season, so much of it, again, communication, switches, rotation. So it, it's hard to say in the immediacy of the one game sample size, but if he's going to put in any level, even just the steals category, is worth noting. If he can be disruptive in the passing lanes alone, you'll take that as a positive because of what you get from him on the offensive end. Okay, so that's it is going to be interesting for this team. And what I thought was really interesting is we know they traded away Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan was a man who was literally not playing. He was out of the rotation before the trade, came in, played big minutes the first game, but they didn't run with him a huge amount, only 23 minutes in that game. So... Are we just going to be you're going? You're, forget centers, forget, um, forget defense. Is that how Brooklyn's going to run things? Because is Jordan just cooked as a center? Does this mean they need to prioritize getting someone in uh, off free agency there? Because yeah, running with Jeff Green and Kevin Durant as your center, which is what they're doing quite a bit at the moment, is uh, is is something that they're going to have to be considering. Is is that how it looks to be trending? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Doug and I batted this around a lot going back to last offseason and just what it was going to look like. We had called for Jared Allen to be the starter. That is a as a, you know, homer of, of, of a Nets fan. It was disappointing to see him go. But I, I think that expectation that this team needs to get bigger, they need more size, they need more length. You have to kind of surrender that notion and understand that they have this firepower offensively. They're going to be a smaller lineup. Yes, I think DJ is mostly cooked. And you're mostly going to have to live with it because they're not going to move off of him. This is the collection of talent when we talk about what got KD here in first signing Kyrie. Getting DeAndre Jordan, that contract was about his association with these players. So you're going to have to live with it. But again, tonight, you know, 23 minutes. So that number is settling right back down in. And you can probably expect to see more of that Jeff Green, Kevin Durant usage at the five and, uh, you know, live with whatever you're going to suffer on the defensive end and not necessarily being big enough against a lot of key matchups. Last question on centers before we talk about another big name player. And that big name player is not Kevin Durant because he's just been awesome. But I want to, you know, what about Nick Claxton? Because a guy that hasn't played this season showed some big flashes last year. Do you think that they want to get him into the mix and at least have him as a reliable rotation option? Could he overtake DeAndre Jordan? Would uh, KD and Kyrie uh, bristle at that idea of a second-year player coming in and perhaps taking a larger role? Because I think that, not that he's necessarily the answer, but I think he could be at least a partial multiple-choice option on the, an answer to the question. Yeah, I, I, listen, he's still dealing with that right knee tendinitis. I think they even said Steve Nash came out and it might be a little bit closer into February some point before he's back on the floor. But yeah, we, you know, we talked about this too, even when Allen was still on the team, where you said just athleticism, activity, especially on the defensive end. If you're just looking for a little bit of that, someone who can range out to the perimeter and defend against some of those shooters, we know, you know, DJ gets lead locked in the lane. He has a hard time extending out or choosing not to. So I, I would like to think that when he gets back on the court, you need to at least in the short term use him as, as someone who can be a high energy guy, have some impact defensively. He can run the court great. He can give you, you know, he's going to be able to receive those passes. Passes from a multitude of guys now between Harden, potentially Kyrie Irving and KD in terms of just, you know, getting at the rim and attacking. So unless you're thinking of another name that's going to be out there, I think Claxton has to have a role and they're pretty high on him. You know, Nets were pretty high on him coming off of last year. So they want to get him on the court here and see what he looks like with this new cast around him. Now, you mentioned his name. Let's talk about him, Kyrie Irving. Um, obviously, <laughs> the name that should not be mentioned. Yeah, yeah. look, it's it. it Any time you bring him up, as I'm sure you're you're well aware, you do receive vitriol and spite and all sorts of things. And I'm sure you know that's nothing compared to what he himself receives in social media channels. But Kyrie, it looks like the return is coming after now he is dealing with um, a quarantine period after attending a maskless or attending a party maskless, to be more accurate. So what is the timeline for Kyrie returning? Because there was so many things. Oh, Kyrie doesn't want to play. Kyrie might retire. Who knows when he's coming back? What's the communication like? So it looks like he's back this week. Um, what are the indications of in terms of his relationship with Kevin Durant, with James Harden, with Steve Nash, were they were they pissed at his absence? More specifically, Durant and Nash, because Harden wasn't there. How does that need to be repaired, or where where are we sitting with that? Yeah, it's a little bit weird because you know just a handful of days ago, the there were indications that the organization was a little bit upset with with the lack of communication, and then the incident, like you said, being out maskless, and just the general perspective, I guess, that, that Kyrie Irving holds to to the priority of basketball and the commitment to it. 
But then they make the trade for Harden. And when Sean Marks was asked, the comments were, yeah, we were in touch with KD. He's very excited about Harden coming in. Kyrie, very excited to get back on the court. We're looking forward to getting him back in here. So, uh, you know, I don't know if it's some management of expectations or managing of the egos, but understanding at least in this short term, if you can have Kyrie back on the floor with Harden and with KD, it only makes you a better team. So, uh, you know, I, it's hard to get a real sense of, of what the organization might prefer. We talked about this maybe being the safeguard by Brooklyn to say, if in a world Kyrie doesn't fully come back committed, be, even maybe beyond this year, you know you're having another superstar there alongside KD. Uh, you know, and KD is always referred to, and everyone says that Kyrie is like his little brother. So I don't know if there's ever an action or something that Kyrie could do where KD would say, well, that's it, I'm fed up with him. I think he could be frustrated with him and might be having conversations with him, but it's never going to, I don't think, get to the place where KD says, that's it, I'm done with him. It's more like, yeah, that's Kyrie. That's that's what we expect. And in the long run, we hope to win a championship together. So it's, it's all relative. It's going to be interesting to see how it all works. Of course, we've seen Harden and Durant. We've seen them in the past, but that was a long time ago. But we've seen them back together now in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. We're going to have to incorporate Kyrie into that mix, and that's going to be the next challenge for Steve Nash and this team. Adam, it's super exciting, though, and I'm sure you'll have it all covered for us over on Locked on Nets in the coming days, weeks, maybe extending all the way through to the NBA Finals. Thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me. You got it, Josh. Thanks a lot. Built Bar is back. The best tasting protein bar ever returns with six new amazing flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They join the roster. Traded in, in fact, to join the original 12 flavors, which include raspberry, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, and toffee almond. These bars are soft, they're easy to chew, and they're covered in 100% chocolate, so they taste just like a candy bar. So if you're looking for a snack that feels like an indulgence, but it's actually good for you, Built Bar is the way to go. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for a keto diet. They help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in this delicious treat. The new Cookies and Cream Bar has 17 grams of protein and only 130 calories, with 4 grams of sugar and 4 grams of net carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. The promo code is LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Now let's bring in the host of the Locked On Pacers podcast. Tony East is here. Tony, the Indiana Pacers decided they were going to just get themselves in on the big James Harden deal, shipping out Victor Oladipo and bringing in Karis LeVert. Let's start with Karis LeVert because uh, yesterday, I think it was, that it was revealed that LeVert is dealing with a mass on his kidney and is going to be out indefinitely. Um, I know you don't have any extra information as to what this could be, but you know, just a, a bit of a brief description, I guess, of the possibilities or you know, what this means for Levert and the short-term future with him and the Pacers. Sure. The Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers front office, just Pritchard, but he was speaking on behalf of the front office, did a press conference last night, actually, a Saturday night press conference should tell you the severity of what really is, is going on here. But yeah, the, the, they discovered a mass on Karis Levert's kidney during the physical process to complete the trade. Uh, and he was not able to confirm because of HIPAA violations or HIPAA rules, whether or not it was cancer. And I'm not sure that anyone even knows yet, but Kevin Pritchard said that the Pacers consulted with, you know, 50 something doctors when it came to this, this injury. And so he did mention foot stuff as well, but you know, tons of doctors to, to figure out what, what they were getting into with, with Levert and his injury. But you know, we, you're right that we don't know, specifically what it is you know if it's just like a cyst or something it could be a simple removal he's back in 
who knows how, how short of a time. If it's something cancerous or something that could spread to other places in his body, perhaps that requires much more extensive um, rehabilitation and surgery process, and we could not see him for a while. Pritchard said that they do expect him to be on the court at some point in the future. That does not mean necessarily this season, but at some point. Uh, could be any time, although he did say it is possible he returns to the court this season, so I won't rule that out. But yeah, at this point in time, it's kind of hard to say because they are bound by HIPAA to not be able to share more information uh, that they aren't aren't allowed, legally allowed to share. And and uh, he said that potentially we'll hear something from Karis himself at some point, so perhaps we'll get that announcement in the near future, and then we'll know more. Yeah, look, it's obviously horrible news for Karis himself, but I guess you look on the bright side, the fact that if he wasn't traded, maybe this wasn't discovered at this early point, assuming it is an early point, so that's, that's a positive there, but you're right, the magnitude of having a Saturday night press conference, the wording that you pointed out, it doesn't give you a huge amount of faith that you're going to be seeing Levert really at any point soon. It, it might be yep. something benign that's just a, a quick you know, excision, but that still requires surgery, and that's going to you know, put you out for a little bit of time. But if it is anything malignant, then you're talking about yeah stuff that is going to keep him out for the year, like yeah, radiation, uh, chemo, that sort of stuff. And then, of course, then the battle for his uh, future health and his and his life is his more important than what happens on the basketball court. So some really big um, parts of that now. One thing I think that's that's worth noting, and not to sound completely callous here, but the fact that even with a situation which could be quite serious, and it, it might, you know, it might be a small chance, but there, there is a chance that maybe Levert actually can't ever play basketball again because this is a serious condition. But the Pacers were still willing to execute the deal and uh, and get rid of Victor Oladipo. What does that say about the relationship between Oladipo and the Pacers? <laughs> I think that. If they never expect him to play again, I don't know that they did the trade, honestly. You know, uh, I, I can't say that for sure, and I don't want to step on anyone's toes and no one ask that question of Pritchard directly, but I'm sure that's a factor. But, I mean, you got you got to feel for the whole situation, right? Like, how did the Nets feel knowing that they, they would have been stuck with him in that case? Uh, so it, it's very complicated to describe it in that way. But, yeah, clearly, right, there was a report from Ryan McDonough, the former Phoenix Suns GM and now an NBA insider for Radio.com, that – the Pacers offered Oladipo uh, basically the maximum extension they were able to offer him. I'm not sure about the total years, but he did say starting at $25 million, which is basically the full mass extension they were to offer, and he turned it down. And look, they already kind of between all the stuff that had happened leading up to the season had, an, I'm sure, an inkling that he wasn't going to stay long term. If he's not accepting an extension, I think you, you kind of know, and especially if that extension is the most willing to offer him anyway. I think proactively they have to know, okay, we're not going to have it. We're not going to have Oladipo long-term. So uh, getting the two second-rounders in cash, even beyond Levert, there you go. You get something, even if it's something minor for a player of Oladipo stature. If they think Karras is going to play and be good, that's why they make the trade. That's why you know that relationship deteriorating leads to something like this happening. Um, but yeah, if he's never going to play again, sure, certainly an underwhelming return, but that's you know kind of in the background of what you're thinking at that point in time. So what does this mean for this Pacers team who's playing at a really high level? We know how well Sabonis is playing and Brogdon's playing, Miles Turner, Defensive Player of the Year candidate at the moment, and you know, losing yeah, losing Oladipo and getting Laverde in straight swap would have been, okay, fine, we'll just keep things rolling. We're dealing with the TJ Warren absence, but now we are going to be dealing with a Warren absence. You're going to be dealing with a shooting guard hole for how long we don't know. Um, yeah, how does this derail that the Pacers, or not how does it derail, but what sort of, how do the Pacers, I guess, recover from this by having to deal with that that absence? And not that Oladipo was driving everything because he was probably yeah, third or f- probably fourth most important player, really, in the way that they've started this season. But it means that you're going to have more McConnell, more of the holidays. And then you have the return of Jeremy Lamb coming a- around the corner. So 
is it just a mix of those guys to fill that gap? Like, how can they maintain this mo- momentum? Yeah, um, th- this is an extremely minor, minuscule sample size, whatever word you want to use. They've played three games without Oladipo this season, uh, back-to-back against the Celtics, back-to-back against the Warriors, and then the first game against the Blazers after the trade became announced but not official. They won all three. They've won all three games without him. Uh, in the first game, he didn't play against the Celtics. TJ Warren was still playing. Uh, he was a key part in that game. The second game, he didn't play against the Warriors. And the third game against the Blazers, however, they did not have Warren. They started Edmund Sumner uh, in his place alongside Justin Holiday. And those two have done a fine job because Brogdon and, and Sabonis are, have been pretty ball dominant this year. And Turner kind of cleans up some of the in-between touches. So they don't really need their fourth and fifth starters to have the ball a lot. They just kind of need them to play good defense and make the shots that they've had. So without Oladipo so far, they've been getting by with those ancillary guys. Their bench has definitely been weekend. You know, they've had to squeeze in minutes from Keelan Martin and Cassius Stanley even at times just to feel the normal rotation. But like you said, Jeremy Lamb's coming back soon. Their 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 bill of health is is sort of uh, mutilating. And they've gotten a lot from Sumner to the point that he'll probably stick in the rotation. So my thought is with Depot out uh, that – or with Depot gone and Levert out that – you know, Justin Holiday will probably keep starting in TJ Warren's spot. And then at the two guard, we'll either see Lamb or Sumner and the other one moves to the bench. And so far, the, given how good Brogdon and Sabonis have been and how little they really need that guy to, to, to do on offense, they've been able to, to do well without Oladipo. Um, you know, against the Knicks, one of the Pacers' losses, Oladipo really shot them out of the game. He shot them out of the game against the Kings, even though he t- picked it up in the fourth quarter, right? So I think they can be close to as good as they were with him. You know, they did really well without him last season, too. Uh, so the, clearly the roster has the talent to, to stay afloat and be solid, but you know, they, they definitely their depth is hurt, right? They basically just traded a guy who was playing well for, for a guy who's not going to be playing at all. Uh, who knows what level lamb will be at. So, right. They're definitely going to be a little worse and potentially much worse if their depth suffers. But I think they have the capabilities and you know, the, the scheme and talent to, to stay afloat and keep a, at least sort of similar record to what they have right now. Well, it is going to be something that's very interesting to keep an eye on. Of course, we want to make sure that Karras is is fine and healthy and then how he can uh, mix in with this current Pacers team, which is playing at such a high level. Tony, you'll have it covered for us all over on Locked On Pacers. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Yeah, Josh, thanks for having me. It's getting it's getting so close, so close to the uh, to the Super Bowl. A few games left in the NFL season. The NBA season's ramping up. We just had the NHL season begin as well. And if you want to put your sports knowledge to the test, use that superior sports intellect. There's only one place that has you covered, and there's only one place that we trust, and that is BetOnline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag, and if you use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. 50%, so you put 200 bucks in, and BetOnline says, here you go, have another 100 bucks on top of that. That is your 50% welcome bonus, but only if you use the promo code LOCKEDON. Do you think that the Atlanta Hawks are going to be able to turn things around in the NBA? Go to Bet Online. Use your knowledge. I'm sure you're going to be able to get some uh, some points on those guys, and you can uh, you can take advantage of uh, how you think things will work there. Maybe think that things will continue to go poorly for Atlanta, and then you can go in and uh, and bet against them. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On, and you'll receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online is your online sportsbook experts. Now we bring in the host of the Locked On Hawks podcast, Brad Rowland. Why are the Hawks so bad? <laughs> it's the ultimate question. Obviously, uh, they're probably not this bad, but uh, it's been kind of a struggle lately. Yeah, look, they have what they've won one out of their last seven games, and that includes losses to the Cavs, the Knicks, the Hornets, 
and the Hornets. Again, uh, the Jazz and the Blazers in there. Look, some of those were on the road, the last two on that uh, back-to-back road trip with the Jazz and the Blazers. But it's not just losing games because we know there's wacky stuff going on this season. There's players whose minds are going to be in places that perhaps they aren't aren't as focused as what they normally be on basketball because of um, COVID postponements. The the Hawks have already had to deal with one of those. Um, But it's not just that. It seems to be a lot of the manner of losing. It is the reports of um, disharmony, I guess, between two of the young stars on this team that's come out between Trey Young and John Collins. The fact that Collins looks completely disengaged, the fact that Trey is shooting at a really, really poor percentage. There are a lot of things going into this for Atlanta, and we're not even going to talk about the fact that you know all the guys they brought in in this much ballyhooed offseason, they're not even playing. Um, yeah, so let, let's start with Trey Young, because he is off. Um, how much of it is do you think this wrist problem that's been bothering him? Is it just a, a temporary form slump? Like, what's going on with Trey Young here? Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, he's had, he's been on the injury report now twice recently, once with the wrist, once with the back on Saturday. I don't know how much that's bothering him. He was obviously in some pain with the wrist, but he's just not playing very well, which is very, uh, I would say, simplistic. But his jump shot's just not been there this season. And his floater game, at least until Saturday, was really broken as well. And that was sort of a sneaky part of his game in the in the last year and a half or so, was that he had this awesome floater, at least when compared to other guys of his size and, um, and his approach. And without that, and without his jump shot at the same time, it's kind of hard for him to maintain efficiency. You know, getting to the line is nice, and he's done that pretty much all season long but he's going to have to make more shots. And honestly, the Hawks go as he goes in a lot of ways offensively. You mentioned the injuries, and those are something that I would not gloss over. The Hawks have been pretty shorthanded the entire season, but at the same time, you know, almost nothing else matters if Trey Young is going to play this poorly. And I think they kind of know that, but it's just worth saying out loud that, you know, if he's not going to be good, they're in some trouble. We spoke, I don't even remember when, I don't know if it was on my podcast, if it was on our draft podcast, if it was via DM or whatever it was. And we said that there was a, way, there was a worry with bringing in some of these players, you know, really spending up, bringing in Danilo Gallinari, bringing in Chris Dunn, bringing in Rajon Rondo, bringing in Bogdan Bogdanovic, that it might have an impact on the young players that they were trying to develop in those similar positions. Now, I think that you know, John Andre Hunter's obviously taken his game to a new level this year. Cam Reddish has been okay. Kevin Hurd has been still pretty solid with those injuries. But one guy who has really struggled this year is is John Collins. The minutes are way down. He's playing only 28 minutes a night this season. He was at 33 last year. He's averaging under 16 points, seven rebounds, still shooting the ball at, at a pretty high level. The three-point shot's not quite there, but he just isn't the same player. We never got to see him with Clint Capella last year. That seems to be some sort of issue. It, it the, We know that he didn't agree on this contract extension. We we had discussed that maybe the Hawks you know, weren't as keen on him as being part of their core, and it, and you know, not to be you know, Mr. Body Language, but it just does appear that, that Collins is feeling a little bit the same way. Um, how how big of a deal is this? Because you, know, you could have looked at Collins' numbers last year and gone, there's a real star here. This is this is the core. Trey Young, John Collins, future all-star combination, and now it just feels like he's, like, eh, he's just sort of another power forward that's an afterthought with these other guys we've got around. Yeah, I think his usage has been pretty interesting so far this year. You know, we kind of knew his role might change a little bit with Capella now there and those guys sort of overlapping. They they have staggered them pretty effectively, 
But Collins, if you look at sort of the in-depth numbers, his pick and roll usage is way down. He's rolling to the rim less, uh, more pick and pop stuff, which he can do. He's a solid enough shooter, but not an elite one. He's still by far his best attribute is his, is his finishing as a pick and roll guy. If you're going to do less of that, that's going to hurt your numbers. You mentioned the minutes as well. They're down a little bit. Part of that's Capella. Part of that is the fact that he's had some foul issues this season. Little stuff here and there, but I think he's playing okay when he plays. Um, but obviously, his role is just different right now, and that was always going to be the case, but they're definitely trying to find that balance right now, I think, between maybe forcing him the ball a little bit more and having him play sort of within the flow of the offense because there are more mouths to feed even with the injuries, and him and Capella was never an ideal fit. It's certainly something that they can work with, and having more at center is a good thing overall, but of all the guys that it impacts, it definitely impacts Collins in a way that he's not going to be the uh, you know sort of every down pick-and-roll guy the way that he used to be. And the other thing with it is, is it, you know, I talked about how it might be affecting him, the the mental side of you know, not being offered the contract extension, having other players brought in, um, you know, the rumored freezing of a relationship between him and Trey Young. And this is without Daniel Gallinari really even playing and getting one game and, what, 14 minutes out of their first you know, draft pick in Anyeka Okongwu, both guys who are going to come in and possibly take more away from John Collins. So... Is there a fear that not that his production will, will dip because that's obviously a concern when other guys are going to be coming in and taking some of his minutes away with Gallinari and Okongwu? But how does that impact him mentally? I know you don't know. You're not a psychologist. You don't know how that's going to impact yeah. him mentally. But there's got to be some concern there that yeah, have, bringing these other guys back because we had this concern with Collins and realistically with you know, Capella missing the start of the season and then having some minutes problems and Gallinari being out and Okongwu being out, it was a, a perfect time for Collins to say, well, no, I'm still the same guy. I'm still going to do everything the same, but the Hawks said, no, you're not. And it could get worse. Yeah, I think that on the bright side there, Collins is someone who has a good reputation for working hard. Willie Pierce has talked about that throughout the process. Like Collins is a good motor. He always plays hard. He shows up. He's a guy with sort of a square head on his shoulders. He's not someone that's going to, I don't think, wallow in this, but it would be obviously naive to act like this is not a factor. The money stuff is out there. Um, he wanted to get paid, and you know everyone wants to get paid. Um, I'm sure he does not love the fact that his numbers are down, his usage is down, and all that stuff. I think he'll still show up and play hard. I think actually defensively he's been better than usual so far this season which is a small thing and not necessarily um you know always going to show up on the uh, on the stat sheet but i think on the bright side he will show up he will play hard and it's almost counterintuitive but i think actually gallinari might help collins which is a strange thing to say out loud in some ways but i think if you play him with gallinari suddenly he can be back in that pick and roll mindset whereas right now he's playing a little bit more with capella and those guys are not exactly like the best fit in the world so gallinari is going to play more i think if it's me i probably let gallinari impact capella a little bit more than collins but we'll see how that all flows because it's obviously a concern when you throw in another guy who's going to play real minutes and get and get the ball and that's not going to help collins numbers but it might sort of spread the floor a little bit and honestly going back to trey young when Trey Young struggles, it makes life difficult for everybody. And not having as much space on the court because Trey has, doesn't have it going uh, sort of trickles down as well. We talked at the start of the season, or, you know, we, I say, as a general media collective about the Hawks, you know, pushing for the playoffs, being a lock for the playoffs. You know, they, they should be able to get to that six or seven seed. And they're not that far off. They're currently ninth at the moment, five and seven. The problem is that there are teams like the Heat and the Raptors still behind them and teams like the Cavaliers, the Hornets, and the Magic ahead of them. So that's you know, where they should be really you know, pushing ahead of teams like that. So it's not complete all doom and gloom. There's still, you know, five and seven is not a horrendous record, especially this early in the season and with the amount of players that they still have 
to return to the court, but there are some, I guess, troubling signs for this team, especially with their current run of form. Their next game coming up is on uh, Monday against Minnesota. Then they have Detroit, then Minnesota again. So there is a chance here to really you know, get some momentum back, get those three wins in a row before a, uh, a pretty tough run with the Bucks, Clippers, and Nets, the three after that. But these next three games are going to be vitally important, Brad. Yeah, they have to beg some wins. Obviously, you know, you talked about it at the very beginning of this, but they struggled in this homestand last week where they had some winnable games that they ended up losing. If that happens again, you're going to hear the whispers get a lot louder. You're, you're already hearing the stuff about Lloyd Pierce being touched on the hot seat. I think that's a little bit overblown, but if you keep struggling and losing games you're supposed to win, that's a tough sell. So the Hawks have to start taking care of business. Their numbers still look okay in the aggregate, but uh, the schedule, as it gets more difficult, they're going to have to start making some wins. And offensively, this is a team that's not performing as well as they probably should be talent-wise. And that's not just Trey Young. It's kind of filtering down. So they're better than they've been so far, I think, in my view. And the uh, some of the off-court stuff might be a little bit overblown. But at the end of the day, you got to win games. And uh, it's time for them to do that, even as the uh, guys who they brought in on the offseason are not necessarily performing or actually being on the court just yet. It's an exciting team uh, in theory. Hasn't really worked out so far, but we are going to be tuned in to watch how it goes. They're sexy new uniforms. They're new players coming back. Brad, you're going to have it covered for us all over on Locked On Hawks. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Always a pleasure, sir. And that'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore b Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.